Good morning. It is a privilege to come and be able to open up God's Word with you all this morning. We trust His providence. Uh, just as a, a small story, I was originally supposed to be preaching this morning at a different church. Weeks ago, that plan changed, and that opened up the opportunity for me to come this morning. So we thank the Lord for that. If you open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 5, chapter 5, we will read a shorter passage this morning, starting in verse 12, going to verse 16. It's Luke 5, 12 to 16. Hear now God's word. While he was in one of the cities, that is Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he, that is Jesus, charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Again, this is the word of the Lord. What does it take to get clean? If you're a parent, uh, my daughter Madeline back there, you may get a chance to meet her. Um, if you're a parent, you may find yourself asking with me, uh, how do I keep my children clean? How do I keep myself clean? How do I keep my house clean? Over the last year and a half, I have come to be a firm believer in the powers of OxyClean. <laughs> this stuff is incredible. A little spritz, spritz, you scrub it with a brush, throw it in the laundry, bada bing, you're Billy Mays. And some of you younger people are like, who's Billy Mays? Yes, it's great. You know, dirt stains, sauce stains, chocolate stains. She loves chocolate. All of these stains come out in the wash with a little bit of OxyClean. But some stains don't come out so easily. Stains like leprosy. You see, no amount of soap or water could wash the leper's spots away. And the unnamed man in our passage this morning knew that all too well. But he also knew about an odd traveling preacher man from Nazareth. He knew about this man Jesus through stories, no doubt, that he had heard. Luke records them for us prior to our passage Stories about uh, his mother who sang, He who is mighty has done great things for me. Stories about a man named Simeon in the temple who, who declared, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. <clears throat> Stories about this man Jesus as he preached in a nearby synagogue and proclaimed, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We don't know exactly what the leper knew. But surely he had heard about Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick, all while preaching what he called the good news of the kingdom of God. Whatever the man heard and saw, it was enough to convince him that this Jesus could help him too. So there Jesus is, one day, walking along in one of the cities when, bam, a leper. That's actually how it reads in the Greek. It's kind of funny. Uh, a leper just appears out of nowhere, as if out of thin air. Mark, Matthew, and Luke all record this incident, but only Luke describes him as a man full of leprosy. He's filled with it. Today, leprosy is often used to describe Hansen's disease, from what I understand, a bacterial infection that attacks the nerves beneath the skin, oftentimes resulting in uh, other problems as you lose feeling in your body. But leprosy in the Bible is a really more of a broad umbrella term for a number of skin diseases, anything from eczema to, to various uh, serious fungal infections. And if you've been doing your devotions in Leviticus lately, as I'm sure many of you have, you might recall a long passage on leprosy in chapters 13 and 14. All cases of leprosy were to be treated as highly contagious. Anyone with a suspicious spot would be put under observation. Oftentimes the disease would spread. The victim's skin would become swollen and raw. Any of you who suffer from chronic skin uh, afflictions can maybe know a little bit of what this would feel like. The Bible describes a leper as one like the dead, whose flesh is half eaten away. That's Numbers 12, chapter 12, verse 12. In a disturbing way, leprosy was and is often recognized both in and out of the Bible as a living death. The Lord knows that we are dust indeed, and to dust we shall return. Lepers knew this in a very visceral way. But leprosy did more than just decay the body. You see, leprosy defiled the person. And this is something that might be hard for us to, to grasp. A leper was spiritually unclean. There's a spiritual dimension to this physical affliction. They were unholy. And that unholiness was contagious. Like a septic water polluting a fresh pool, a leper had to be quarantined had to be cut off, kept away from the worship of the body, from the people, the congregation of Israel. He couldn't sit with his family. He couldn't even sit behind some plexiglass. He couldn't participate in the worship. He had to live outside of the community, covering his mouth, Leviticus 13, covering his mouth, he had to cry, unclean, unclean. You see, viruses threaten the body, but... Leprosy threatened body and soul. Now, it is important to recognize that this was not because lepers were somehow worse sinners than everyone else. This wasn't a judgment that God specifically brought on the worst of sinners. No. Rather, in leprosy, God was showing the people of Israel and us a picture of a terrible plague that is far, far 
worse. Leprosy was a picture of sin. Leprosy, as Bishop J.C. Ryle once wrote, is a picture of sin, this foul soul disease. Sin is a foul soul disease, which is ingrained in our very nature, cleaves to our bones and marrow with deadly force, infecting every part, heart, will, conscience, understanding, memory, emotions. Sin affects all of these. And Ryle goes on to say that leprosy and sin both make us loathsome and abominable, unfit for the company of God and unmeet for the glory of heaven. And like leprosy, sin is incurable by any earthly physician, and it slowly but surely drags us down to hell. Sin is a disease that afflicts far more than leprosy ever did. Sin pervades us. Born into sin, we are. We are all afflicted by this soul disease from birth. We are born spiritual lepers, though living we are, as Ephesians 2 records for us, dead in our trespasses and sins. By default, we are guilty. By default, we want to go our own way. We choose this as well. We participate willingly in this. Our souls are filled with pride, thanklessness, jealousy, lust, violence. Left to ourselves, there is no hope for a cure. We are unclean and unfit for fellowship with God. So returning now to the leper, this unfit and unclean man, what is he doing here standing in front of Jesus, presumably standing in front of a crowd? Jesus is surrounded by crowds and a leper suddenly appears. This doesn't happen. This isn't supposed to happen. So why does it happen? In a word, this leper breaks all social convention, all religious regulation, everything that, that he had known for his life as a leper. He breaks it all because he has faith. The leper is there because of faith. Remember, you can't cure leprosy. Phys phys uh, humans cannot cure leprosy. The great prophet Elisha couldn't cleanse the leprous Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Moses himself, as great as he was, when his sister Miriam was struck with leprosy, he couldn't heal her. Numbers chapter 12. They could not do this. So what did they do? What did Elisha do? What did Moses do? They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the one who could cure this disease. A priest might be able to declare a person clean, but only God can make a person clean. And that sets this leper's plea in a whole new light. You see, he breaks his quarantine and comes before Jesus, falling on his face, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We don't know how many years this man suffered with this disease, how many nights he stayed awake crying, wishing he were dead rather than living through this death. One day, any day besides this, he might have fallen down in despair. But no, on this day... In history, he comes and falls before Jesus. 
because he recognizes the power of God. And I ask you this morning, have you fallen before Jesus? Have you taken that fall of faith before him, recognizing that you, like this man, are full of leprosy, recognizing the hell that lies close to your own heart, and even more, the heaven that Christ can offer you? This is true for those who, who, who think the gospel strange, but it's also true for those of us who do believe, because how often are we beset by these sins and they drag us continually away from looking at our Savior, the one who has declared us clean and who continually makes us clean by his Spirit. See, the man with leprosy did not have everything figured out, but he knew that Jesus was his only hope. And that cry causes him to cry out, not just unclean, unclean, but Lord, you can make clean. Now, we've spent quite a, a bit of time on this initial verse because this is something that we all need to recognize. We need to see how desperate the leper's situation, how desperate our situation is. Now we turn to Jesus' response. As you can imagine, in verses 13 through 16, the spotlight, so to speak, falls directly on Jesus. In fact, there are four things that this passage shows us about Jesus that we should note in particular. And the first is this. We should note the power of Jesus, the power of Christ. You may be thinking of an old movie where two priests stand over a demon-possessed girl chanting, the power of Christ compels you. But what is the power of Christ? Specifically, what is the power of Christ in our passage? Well, to put it quite simply, it is the power to make this man clean. It is the power to cleanse. It's what the leper recognized, and Jesus recognizes it as well. He says, yes, I have that power. No, uh, the man doesn't say, you can heal me. Although, clearly, Jesus does and, and would do for others. But the man doesn't say, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Shows us something specific. Jesus could heal him, but the man's problem is more than skin deep. It is the fact that he is unholy. It's holiness that's the issue. It's fellowship with God. That has been disrupted, cut off. And this man says, God can make me clean. Jesus, you can make me clean. Jesus is able he can restore the raw flesh, but more than that, he can cleanse what has been defiled. Jesus purifies the putrid. In other words, he is, as we sing in some of our songs, mighty to save. That's why he's called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We sometimes think that it's more complicated than that, don't we? We sometimes think that our sins are too complex, our history too dark, maybe we've been sinned against. And that and the feelings and the effects of that sin weigh us down. Maybe it's the sin of others in our lives. They weigh us down. We say, Lord, how can anyone come out of this situation of sin? We feel filth and we feel it will never wash away. Jesus can make you clean. I've made, you say, I've made horrible decisions that, that can never be reversed. Well, Jesus can make you clean. I've burned bridges, you might say, that, that can never be repaired. Well, Jesus can make you clean. You may have thoughts 
that are too shameful ever to speak aloud, Jesus can make you clean. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Hebrews chapter 7. If you gather together all the worst of your sins into a giant oil silo, we have all of these laying around back where we live, down in Mantua, these big oil silos. You poured your sin into this, filling it to the brim. It would not weigh more than the cross that Christ bore on his road to Calvary. If you kept a list, if it were ever possible, of every sin you'd ever committed, it would not be longer than the nails that were driven into his hands. Christ died for the worst of sinners, and his righteousness covers the worst of wrongs. We're called to repentance. We are called to, to ask for forgiveness, but we are not called to save ourselves. Jesus makes us clean. He has that power. That's the first thing that we should recognize, but notice something second, that power is not, only, is not the only issue here, whether or not Jesus can make the leper clean. The leper knows that Jesus could save him, but would he? Would he make him clean? And that's why, secondly, we should note that Jesus not only has the power to save, but that he has the will to save. You see, that was the piece that I think the leper was missing. So he says, if you will. And in response, Jesus says, yes, in fact, I do. It sounds a little awkward to us in English, maybe. Um, we think of will as, as oftentimes what's called a helping verb, putting stuff in the future tense. I will do this. I will do that. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus is not saying, uh, I will do it for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help you out. No, Jesus is saying, I will to do this. In other words, it is my will that this be done. I want to do it, Jesus says. I desire to make you clean. It is my will to take away your unholiness. Jesus doesn't cleanse the leper begrudgingly or out of any sense of obligation. He does it because he delights to do it. This, uh, it brings Jesus joy, in other words, to cleanse the defiled. You may uh, be asked, in fact, I don't know how, how the trash roster works here, but you may be asked to take out the trash in the church or maybe at home. And you'll say, oh, yes, I'm happy to do it. But you're not really. I mean, maybe some of you, I don't, I, I don't know. But you're not really typically happy to take out the trash. You're saying, okay, I'll do it. I will do it. But Jesus is actually happy to take the trash out of your soul to take the, the, the shameful record and tear it in two, to take the sin and the guilt and put it on himself. He is happy to do this for you. He willingly went to the cross so that we would be declared clean in the courtroom of God and so that we would be actually made clean and holy before him. You remember Ephesians chapter 5, at verse 25, often uh, spoken at, at, at weddings. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But how does that passage go on? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the thing that brings him delight. See, Jesus did not keep socially distant from the leper. He touched him. This is the will of God for you. This is God's will. It is God's will to touch you and make you clean, to come near, to draw near to you. He does not keep you at arm's length, but he calls you and welcomes you so that he might make you clean. The Father, Father God, wills to make you clean. That's why he sent out of the abundance of, the love, of his love. That's why he sent his son into the world, John 3, 16. Go to an Eagles game, you'll know that. The Holy Spirit wills to make you clean. That's why he empowered Christ to do this work in his ministry. That's why he came down to work in, in Christ to allow this thing to happen. That's why he comes now. The Holy Spirit comes now willingly into our hearts to make us clean because he delights to do so. Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, loves to make you clean. That's why he stretched out his hand once to a leper, and then he stretched out both hands at the cross. Christ wills to make you clean, and he has the power to make you clean. Now note thirdly, that this incident is a proof that Jesus is the promised Savior. A proof that not only that Jesus is just, he's not doing this out of some spontaneous new plan, but in fact, that this had been God's plan from eternity past. Now, specifically about the, the proof, you may be wondering, well, if I was a leper and I was made clean, what further proof would I need? All right? But you see, Jesus isn't just concerned about the man that's in front of him. He wants to make it clear to the priests and to everyone else that he is the one to bring God's salvation, to fulfill the promise that God had made to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to all of God's people. This is why he tells the man, go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. It's not, it's not simply a proof that Jesus knew and abided by Old Testament leprosy laws. I mean, Clearly, Jesus followed the law. He was perfectly obedient for our sake. Perfectly obedient, but that's not the focus here. The focus is more on the fact that Jesus cleansed the man, and that that itself is proof that Jesus is the Savior. You see, if I, if I said to you, can you go pick up my Maserati from the shop, your first question wouldn't be, okay, where's the shop? Your first question would be, how can a seminarian afford a Maserati? You see, it's the fact that someone is, it's, the, it's that truth coming that now prompts a question. It's the reality that, pre that uh, leads the priest to ask a question. This man, this leper comes to the door and says, hey, I'm clean. Let's make the sacrifice. The priests don't say, okay, all right, let's get, all the, let's get the, the ducks together and everything. No. They say, how are you made clean? How does this, only God can do this. So how did this happen? They have to ask. And in asking, they discover that all the Old Testament laws and all the sacrifices associated to cleansing point to the fact, yes, that God 
is the one who makes the cleansing happen. And this Jesus just did it. By sending this man to the priest, Jesus is saying, show them that I am the Messiah, that I am God come to save his people from their sins. It was proof that his preaching was true when he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I'll tell you this morning, congregation, we need that proof. We need the proof that we're not just being sold a bill of goods, that Jesus can make you clean, Jesus can, can just take away your sins. No, we need the proof that this has been God's plan from the beginning. We read the pages of the Old Testament and we see again and again and again God saying, I am going to work this out. I am going to take away your sins and it's going to be by a sacrifice. And it's going to be by my power and not by yours. This Jesus did not come just to dabble in miracles, cleansing here, healing there. He came to bring abundant life into a dying world. And every page of scripture testifies to that fact. He came to bring life to those who would come and repent and believe in him. By connecting this to the Old Testament law, Jesus shows that God has not moved on from his original plan. He's going to restore a people for himself. And no power of hell or scheme of man will ever pluck those people from his hand. The author of Hebrews draws out the implications so beautifully that these Old Testament laws, the leprosy, the cleansing, the sacrifices point to this. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, our hearts are sprinkled clean, he writes, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And he charges his congregation with this. He says, you know Jesus can make you clean. Well, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised before the foundation of the world, who promised in the pages of the Old Testament, he who promised in Luke's gospel is faithful. He proved it on that day when that man arrived at the priest's house and said, Hey, I've been made clean. Consider that proof. As we turn now to our fourth consideration, we've seen that Jesus has the power to make clean. We've seen that Jesus has the will, the happiness, the desire to make clean. We've seen that this is proof that God is faithful and will be faithful evermore. And now finally, the places to which Christ withdraws. This uh, sort of epilogue to our short passage. Notice he, he withdraws to these places after the news of this cleansing gets out. And that brings us to a slight difficulty <coughs> in our passage and a few others throughout the gospel. If Jesus came to proclaim salvation to the poor and to, to declare, I came to declare the year of the Lord's favor, well, why is he telling the leper here to be quiet about it? Some have suggested that Jesus does this both for the leper and in other parts of the gospel. Uh, Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 12, Mark 1, Luke 4. All these places where he's telling people to be quiet. Some have suggested it's because he's, he's showing us how to be humble. He's showing us how to, how to not brag about the work that God is doing through us. And I, I actually don't think that's correct. I don't think it's about Jesus' humility. Clearly he was humble. 
But in this context and in other similar contexts, notice that when the word gets out, as Mark tells us, um, the, the leper actually is the one who spilled the beans. When word gets out about this sort of thing, Jesus is doing these miracles, he's doing these cleansings, great crowds are gathering around him to be healed by their infirmities. And so when he tells this man to keep quiet, Jesus is really doing something rather specific to his ministry there. You see, Jesus is recognizing that if the word gets out, if people are just hearing and hearing about all the things that he's doing and the towns that he's in, they're going to come, they're going to swamp him, and it's all going to be about, all right, Jesus, come on, work your miracles. All right, Jesus, come on, let's, let's, let's get clean. And who could blame them? They're sick, they're injured, they're unwell, and here's a man who can make them better, a miracle man. I don't know who he is, I don't know what he's doing here, but all I know is that he can make me clean and they'll come. But Jesus did not come to set up a health and wellness center at the Galilean seaside. You see, Jesus did not come so that he could just heal and heal and heal people from their ailments. Jesus tells this man to keep quiet because he hasn't lost the plot. You see, the healings are very specific. They're pointing to what it is he came to do. That's why he's doing these miracles. Not so that he can heal their immediate ailments for people and uh, allow them to be distracted from their ultimate need. Because it's not just the physical leprosy. It's not just the, the, para the paralysis and the bleeding and all of these things. It's not that that's their chief problem. Their chief problem is sin. And so he's doing these miracles, not so that a man can live for another 30, 40, or 50 years without leprosy, but so that a man can live forever with God. That's the plot. That's the point. He heals the man, one man with leprosy, and not all the lepers in the vicinity, because he's showing by that proof, look, I'm going to the cross. That is why I came, so that at that cross, I can heal you all from your sin. I can cleanse you all from your sin. He's doing this so that men and women can have their souls washed clean, so that one day, on that last day, they can have their bodies restored to them. No more spot or wrinkle or any blemish physically. No more disease or tear. And so with crowds now pressing in around him, Jesus withdraws to desolate places. As the NIV puts it, I think, uh, lonely places in order to pray. In order to spend time with his Father in heaven, in order to be strengthened, remember he is fully man after all, to be strengthened for the task that he has before him to not just heal people from their sicknesses, but to cleanse them from their sins at the cross. After all, this is what it's all about, right? It's about a right relationship with God. Jesus had a perfect relationship with his Father, and that meant that they were in constant conversation with each other. He would withdraw to those places and he would pray. This man, this leper he healed meanwhile, had lived his entire life outside the community. Outside of the fellowship of, yes, his brothers and sisters, but also outside of the real perceived physical interaction fellowship with God. He couldn't worship. He couldn't sing their songs. He couldn't participate in the sacrifices. He couldn't even hear God's word explained to him. And now all of that has changed. Because this man is cleansed. He is a living parable 
of a restored relationship with God. Again, that is why Jesus came. He can sing, this leper can sing in the congregation the words of Psalm 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Okay, so he got he let the, the, the beans spill. He, he got the word out. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. But he is restored to God. Of course, we uh, who have trusted in Christ, for our cleansing, know that that restoration can only come from a cross. It can only come from Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And as he is raised in resurrection power, we have the full confidence that we too will be raised in spirit and in body. We have the guarantee of an imperishable inheritance kept, an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for you. This is guaranteed. But even so, for now, many effects of our spiritual leprosy remain. We struggle. We falter. We live in a state of tension. Like Paul, perhaps, we pray and we pray continually, Lord, take this away from me. Take this, this stain away from me. We know, perhaps, up in our heads that we've been cleansed in the courtroom of God, that we've been declared righteous. But we feel the weight of sin that clings so close. But what did God tell Paul when he, when he cried out and said, Lord, take this sword in the flesh away from me? What did he say to Paul? No doubt the same thing that the father told the son in those desolate places. My grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, if you trust in Christ, he can make you clean. And he is making you clean. And he will make you clean forevermore. So will you trust him? Will you trust him? And will you withdraw to those desolate places and pray to the Father? You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to, to, to get your own house in order before you can come before God because Jesus makes that way open to you. Will you trust him? And will you cry out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And will you hear now, as God is saying to you this morning, in response, I will be clean. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we remember the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We know perhaps the truths of the gospel, but so often we are prone to wander and prone to forget. And so we ask now that you would make your spirit present in us and among us, that we would know the power, this cleansing power of Christ, that we would see Jesus and know him and be welcomed into the love and the fellowship that he has for us, for you, with you and the spirit who reign in heaven eternal. One God forever praised. Amen.